they earned it, they deserve it. You know, they deserve to be on this trip that we went on. They earned it, they deserve it. And they want to take credit for it. They want all the glory for their accomplishments and for their achievements. And, you know, I work with professional athletes all the time, and it's a real struggle because, you know, the concept is, hey, if you don't market yourself, who will? So you have to toot your own horn. You kind of have to pat yourself on the back. You've got to make sure people realize that you're the one who was responsible for the accomplishments. And then we're, we're being you know, taught that. We're buying into that. And so we're all, we've all got this kind of a glory problem. Now, you may not admit it because you're not as, as uh, obviously egotistical as I am. Some of you are a little more subtle about how you do it. But uh, we like to believe that we're humble. We like to believe that. But the evidence speaks for itself. And so what we're going to talk about today is uh, who, gets, who gets all the glory? You know, who gets the glory in your life? And as you go through it, we're going to have to address the question as we continue in the series that we started on pleasing God. The question you've got to ask yourself is, simple, is a very simple one. Who gets the glory in your life? You might not, you might not call Get out of here. No, sir. My, you know what? I almost hope they lose today. <laughs> no, no, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, maybe I'm not. I don't know. You ever, you know, sometimes you just don't know why you say the things you do. You know, maybe I mean it, maybe I don't. And we'll only find out if I come with the rocks next week. Um, who gets the glory? And I don't know what you call it. Who gets the credit? Who gets the praise? Who gets the glory? That's what we're going to talk about. Let's, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time that we have just to address a very simple yet profound question in the lives of every one of us. Who gets the glory in our life? Quote, our accomplishments, our achievements, our education, our hard work, our success, our failure. Who gets the glory? Who gets all the praise? Who gets all the honor? Father, help us to see us for who we really are. To identify whether that's an area of our life that we need to change to be more conforming to what you desire in our life. Lord, we just thank you for that, that uh, again, your Holy Spirit, he teaches us so clearly of areas that we need to change. And we're also glad that you give us the power and the strength to be able to do that. Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask that you just help us to clearly see what you have us to see so that we can walk in a manner more worthy of your calling. And we just ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last time we got together, we began a series on pleasing God. And we looked at the motivation or the reasons why we should please God. And there were several of them, uh, including those where the purpose of creation, all of creation, the purpose was to please God, to bring pleasure to himself. Revelation 4.11 says he created all these things to bring him pleasure, including you and I. We also saw that the position of our creator was one that is worthy of, of uh, praise and glory, worthy to please because he's higher than us. He made us and we didn't make ourselves. And so he's an authority over us in our lives. We saw that the power that he demonstrates and that he can do anything that he wants to do whenever he wants to do it, as Job said in the 42nd chapter, verses 1 through 6. He said, Lord, I, I, I know who you are now. I can clearly see who you are. I couldn't see it before. I heard about you. Your reputation, I knew of you. I, I, I read of you. Uh, we talked about you. But now I've clearly seen you. And I know you can do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Our God's not limited. He's got the ultimate power. We also saw it in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus went on record as saying, you know what? I came to do all the things, always and everything that I do. I came to do the will of God. I came to please the Father. And so as a result, he also leaves that example for us, and that is that everything that we do has to please God. 
somehow or another has to funnel through that in our decision-making process. Is what I'm about to do going to bring pleasure to God? We looked at it from the standpoint of the persecution of the Apostle Paul who said, you know what, the only thing that motivates me to do what I'm doing is that I'm here to please God and not people. Because if I'm here pleasing people, I would have stopped a long time ago. Never would have went through what I went through. Never would have took the beatings that I did. No way in the world. I'm here to please God. And that's what ultimately carries me through the tough times that I go through. And then the last thing that we saw was the problem of selfishness. And our society is evident all around us that selfishness is not only a dead-end street. I was thinking about it. It's not just a dead-end street. It's a dead-end street that we're driving 90 miles an hour down. And the ultimate inevitable conclusion is that we're going to crash and burn at the end of the street. And we see it with drug addiction and divorce and we see it with abuse and we see it with all forms of selfishness and greed. Our society is a mess because of our desire to please ourselves. So God has a higher calling. He says he's got a different standard. And as we go through this today in the remainder of the series, we're going to take a look at how can we now please God. Why do we please God? We've already looked at That's motivation. How do we please God is the means by which we do it. And for many of us, we have an idea of what it takes to please God. And I may add that it's a wrong idea. Some of you have grown up in situations or have some type of background that says, if you do this, 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 and this, God will be well pleased with you. The problem is you can't find any of that in this book. So what I say is throw it out the window. And let's look at the things that he does say, and let's begin to concentrate on those means of pleasing God. If God says it in here that it pleases him, then that's what we need to do. If it's not in here, then throw it away because it's worthless. It's no different than any other, other opinion you can run across. Let's stick to the Word of God when it comes to pleasing God. Several years ago, in fact, it was in 1980, we went on a similarly sponsored trip. These trips have been just wonderful. And uh, we went to Greece, and we went to Greece and some of the surrounding countryside, and we visited Corinth. And Corinth was known uh, for its glory problem. Corinth has a tremendous glory problem. And in fact, you know, the ornate architecture and the, and the uh, style and the flair for life and the passion for, for living that they had is evidence in everything that they did. And in fact, it was so bad that the Apostle Paul wrote a couple letters to the Corinthians because of this flair for passion that they had for life and pleasure to live a life that was pleasing to themselves. And there are many things in here that he deals with that has to do with a life that revolves around pleasing ourselves. You know, if you go through it, you see there's things like uh, uh, the factionalism that, in, that was involved, uh, alcoholism, uh, divorce, immorality, um, the abuse of spiritual gifts, a lack of love. All those things are found in, in the books or the letters to the Corinthians. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, what once were Corinthians were probably now Californians when you get right down to it. And that is that uh, there's a problem that all of us have, and, and uh, we need to understand it. And that's where we get this theme verse that we've come up with, because it was out of that background that Paul wrote these words. He said, you know what? Whether then you eat or drink, you know, that's the problem. Whether you eat or drink, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is that you're doing, do all of it to the glory of God. The backdrop was you got all this stuff going on in your life and it's like, hey, you know what? Why don't you just start doing it all to the glory of God? If your relationship with your wife isn't pleasing to God, then you've got to change it and you're going to have to do it right. If immorality is not pleasing to God, then stop doing it and start doing things right. If abuse isn't pleasing to God, then don't do that. And abuse of your body, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's overeating, whether it's whatever it is, then stop doing those things and let's start doing things that are pleasing to God. And he went on to say, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? 
stop doing things that don't please God. Because you know what? They're not going to please you. Fast track to the, to the grave is a life that centers around ourselves. Quick way to get there. And the good news is that God knows the day that you're going to end up doing it. So there's two questions I want to look at. Who should get the glory? And then why should he get the glory? Who should get the glory in your life? This is what the Bible says. Who should get the glory? Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what the Bible says? According to the Bible, it says that Jesus Christ should get the glory in our lives. All of the praise, all of the glory, all of the credit for whomever you are, for whatever you've achieved, for whatever you will become, Jesus Christ should get the glory and the praise. That's what the Bible says. You know what? And I think it's something that we have to learn because it doesn't come natural. We have to learn when and how to give Jesus Christ the glory and the praise for what's going on in our lives. It doesn't come natural. You know what comes natural? Taking all the credit yourself. That comes very natural. I worked hard. I did it. I did this. I did that. I sacrificed this. Blah, 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 blah. It's all what I did. We have to learn how to give Jesus Christ the credit, the glory, the praise in every area of our life. It doesn't come natural. But I'll tell you one thing that it does. It pleases God. John 5.23 says, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. God the Father gets all the praise and glory when we, when we exalt Jesus Christ. He is pleased, well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He is pleased when we exalt Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a personal question as we just get rolling here. When was the last time that you gave Jesus the glory, the credit, for something you've accomplished in your life? When was the last time? See, we say... Well, God certainly has blessed us. God, pretty good. Very non-threatening. Kind of Christian verbiage we can use. No one gets offended by that. Everybody's got a concept of who God is, got an idea of who they think God is. And if you've ever traveled much, you'll find out there's all kind of concepts on who God is. Oh, the Lord. Well, the Lord, we're getting a little closer. We're getting a little closer, but we're not quite sure where a person stands when they use terms like God and the Lord. But I know where someone stands when they say, hey, you know what? I owe everything I just accomplished to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know where they stand. So does everybody else. So does the people interviewing them. They can't wait to get the microphone away from them. They know exactly where they stand. They know exactly. When was the last time you said, hey, you know what? I got, I got, to, I got to praise Jesus Christ. He has been the reason our business has been successful. He is the reason we're still married today. He is the reason our children are the way that they are. Jesus Christ is the reason for all of these things. When was the last time you pleased God by doing that? Man, we get really uncomfortable, don't we? I like that. I think it's just because we don't understand why He deserves the glory. See, if you know why he deserves it, we're motivated again. Remember that reason why? If you, can, if you know why Jesus Christ deserves the glory, you'll be motivated to give it to him. 
I'll guarantee you as we go through this thing, when you find out why he deserves it, you're going to be motivated to do it. You know, one of the things that always fascinated me as we've traveled on, in these travels and we go around the world is that um, I like to challenge people why they worship, quote, the gods that they worship. Now, here was a god in Tahiti. Okay, now, now bear with me for a minute. Here was a god. This god was on the main island of Tahiti. He became a god because he took a spear and he threw it through a mountaintop in Morea, which is about, I don't know, maybe eight miles away. He threw a spear through a mountaintop. Are you following me? Listen to this real careful, okay? He threw a spear through a mountaintop in Morea and he kept it from floating away. Pretty awesome, huh? That's why this God was a God. Now, I, now see, I don't know. See, you people scare me sometimes. You're sitting there listening like, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> see, now I'm sitting there going, this person who's telling the story is in awe of this God. Is proud to tell you the story of this God is proud of her heritage of this God. Now you've gone, now I'm see more people have gone to Hawaii. How many have gone to Hawaii? Huh? Okay, good. This is going to be better then. How many of you have taken the world famous, you've seen the world famous, the internationally acclaimed, renowned, world famous Fern Grotto? Whatever that is. You're taking the river boat up the river, and that's about how I felt too. I was up the river in a boat with no paddle. We are stuck here, baby, for the, all day long. And they take you up to the world-famous fern grotto, and there's ferns growing out of it, and they begin to tell you about all their gods. True? It's the truth, right? You've been there? Tell them. Tell people what happened. Gloat about it. <laughs> and, and they t start telling you about all their gods. And we sit there, and we listen, and we're polite, and we listen to this, right? I want to ask you a question. Why is it then, as Christians, we rarely tell anybody about Jesus Christ? We're not proud of what He's done. We're not proud of who He is. We don't speak boldly about what He's accomplished. But some little Tahitian girl on an island will tell me that some Yahoo threw a spear through an island, through a mountaintop. That's why the hole's there. And we sit there in fascination about what this thing accomplished. And we politely listen. And if you show anything less than respect, they're insulted by it. But we can sit and we can go all through our lives and we can hear people say, Jesus Christ this and Jesus Christ that. And it doesn't bother us at all. Why is that? Why is that? Can it be maybe we don't really know much about Jesus Christ? Can it be that we don't know why He should get all the glory and all the praise? I believe that really is the answer. I really do. Because if someone can get excited about someone throwing a spear through a mountain and believe it, how much more excited should we about what Jesus Christ has done? But I don't think many of us know what He's done. So the good news is that's what we're going to find out. Because I believe that we will be more excited than any native on any island about what their so-called gods have done when we realize who Jesus Christ is. 
and we won't sit around anymore. You know, the next time, in fact, here's a challenge for you. The next time you hear somebody do that and say, Jesus Christ, I just go like this. Where? <laughs> and then explain the second coming. Because, you know, that's the truth, right? And they say, well, I didn't hear the trumpet. And they go, what? I didn't hear the trumpet. Well, you just said Jesus Christ. I thought you were announcing his arrival. What? I didn't hear a trumpet. Well, and then you can explain the whole thing. What a great way to introduce the topic. <laughs> oh, no, we can do that. Because, see, we can't impose our beliefs on other people. But we can go and pay big bucks to go on a tour to listen to some native on some island tell you all about their gods. Oh, we can't impose on anybody. They don't have a problem doing it. Man, I, you know, sometimes you just got to get away and think about what you believe. I've come to the conclusion our hesitancy is because we don't know what we believe. We don't know who he is. We don't know what he's done. Because if we did, man, it would be shouting time. It would be shouting time. Thank you. For once, it was appropriate. <laughs> I, I had to do it. There was tension, man. I could feel it here. This little tie was going, uh, getting tighter around the neck here. I could feel it. I felt it, but that's all right. Let's take a look at something. You ready? You ready? Here we go. Why should we glorify Jesus Christ? Here's a great passage that will help us. Colossians 1, 15 through 19. Here's why. Because he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and all things were created for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that he might have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Or literally, verse 19 is, all the fullness referring to God was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. Let me give you some reasons and we'll break them out. I've underlined them for the purpose of clarity, but there are seven things that we're going to take a look at. Seven reasons to glorify Jesus Christ. Seven reasons from that passage to glorify Jesus Christ. And I believe that when we grasp who He is and what He does, we won't be able to contain ourselves. It'll be like the story. Go tell it on, like the song. Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain, man. Shout it from the mountaintops. Let everybody know what He's done, who He is, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And maybe before this is over, we'll have the boldness and the conviction that a little Tahitian gal can have about sharing a God who never existed. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Number one. We should glorify Jesus Christ because of his unique personhood. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is a, is a unique person. He was made human like us, but he was divine and we're not. He was made human like us. He was divine. We're not. He was both God and he was both man. He had one personality, yet he had two natures, human and divine. He's unique. You know, and it's the kind of uniqueness that in Hebrews 1.6 it says, hey, you know what? He is so unique. Let all the angels of God worship Him. 
when you understand who He is, that Jesus Christ is both God and man, divine, two, two natures, one personality. When you understand what the Bible teaches about Him, it, it should force you on your knees to worship Him because you'll never meet anybody else on the face of the earth who is like He is. You'll never meet anybody like Him. He is a unique person out throughout all the history of the world. And yet when people, we look at people and we, and we give them honor and, and prestige and, and, we, and we worship them for their accomplishments and for what they've done and we honor athletes and entertainers and we honor people in our business circles and we worship and praise them for what they've done, there's nothing that they've done. They're nothing compared to who Jesus Christ is. Just that alone should cause us to bow down and worship Him. To give Him all the glory, to give Him all the praise. It's an amazing truth. He says that He is the image of the invisible God. Now let me explain to you what that means. The image of the invisible God. An image is a copy. It'd be like you and I looking into water and seeing the reflection of our face. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is a reflection of God. He is an image of God. Now, every image is a likeness but every likeness is not an image. You follow me? You can have two people who look the same, but don't have the same parents. So what this is saying is, Jesus Christ is a reflection of the glory of God. John chapter 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold, beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of truth and full of grace. We beheld the glory of God in Jesus Christ. He's the image of God. It says He's the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, Hebrews 1.3. The exact representation of His nature, it has to do in Greek uh, terminology with a tool that makes an imprint. He is an imprint. Jesus came to reveal to us what God is like. God became a man in order to communicate to us. I'll never forget the first time that I had a grasp on this and was teaching a Bible study in our home. And I had a guy there who had just become a Christian not too long ago. And when we went down through this, he was just stunned. And in fact, I met a gal not too long ago who said the same thing to me. She said, are you telling me, listen to this, 20th century America. She lives in Brea. And she said this. She said, are you telling me that Jesus Christ is God? Now we grin, we smile, we look at ourselves like, how can anybody not know that? Well, I got an answer. Because no one told her. How's that for some depth, huh? What do you think? And let me ask you this. What have you contributed to her knowledge? Or that of your friends? Or co-workers? Or neighbors? Or relatives? Huh? What message have you conveyed? It blows me away. I was convicted. It was like God just put a sword right through my chest and said, man, you know, there are still people around here that never heard this. You might want to let them know. Great idea. Do you realize that? Do you realize that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God? That God became man so that we can see who God is? Because God the Father, according to John chapter 4, is spirit. And we're going to worship Him in spirit and truth. But the problem is that His presence fills the universe. 
How could we ever get a grasp on who God is? How could we ever comprehend that with stupid, finite little minds that we have? We could never understand that. And so what God did was to communicate with us. He said, hey, I know what. I'll become a man. And I'll walk among them. And I'll spend time with them. And I'll let them watch me. And I'll let them hear my words of wisdom. And I will be a reflection of an invisible God. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is unique in personhood that nobody else is like. Do you understand that? I mean, if that doesn't cause you to bow down and worship, I don't know what will. Jesus said in John chapter 14, He said when Thomas was asking the way, He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man can come unto the Father but through Me. And Thomas went on and said, well, you know, wait a minute, well, who's the Father? And Jesus said, have I been with you that long that you don't see, that you don't know? I and the Father am one. What a unique personhood. I, you know what it is? I guess it, I think I understand how Thomas finally got to that point in his life. It's like, I heard about you, I've read about you, but I've never really seen you with my own eyes. And when he saw the resurrected Lord, you know what he did? He fell down and he worshipped them and he said, My Lord and my God. Maybe that's what we need. Huh? My Lord and my God. I finally see who you are. And you know what? Maybe I should let people know about it. Let's take a look at the second thing. We should glorify Jesus Christ because of His preeminence. His preeminence. It says in Colossians 1.15, taking that passage and just kind of breaking it down, dissecting it into a couple of points, it says that He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn. He comes first before everything and before everyone. I guess the question is... Um, is that true in your life? The word firstborn is used nine times in the New Testament. It doesn't always necessarily mean from the standpoint of time, although in some cases that it does. When it says that he was the firstborn son of Mary and Joseph, it means he was the firstborn in the standpoint of time. Meaning he was the first and there were, some, there were children that came afterwards. But it doesn't always mean that way. In fact, in Romans 8.29, it refers in a sense to being special. That Jesus Christ is special. He's preeminent. He comes before everything and everyone else. Now when you look at that, in Hebrews 1.6 it says, And when He again brings the firstborn into the world, God says, And let the angels of God worship Him. He's preeminent in everything. He's special. He comes first. Now let me ask you a practical question. Does He come first in your life? Does Jesus Christ come first in your life before everyone and everything? Is He preeminent? If you're single, does he approve of how you date your dating life? Does he approve of maybe an upcoming marriage? Deal with it all the time. you got someone who wants to marry a non-believer. The Bible says don't do it. Is Jesus Christ going to come first or is a person going to come first? See, that's really the, the, the litmus test to that question. Or maybe in your sex life, whether you're married or single or whatever, does he come first? Do you do everything to please him in that area of your life? Maybe some other areas of your life, some habits that you have, and drinking and drugs and things of that nature, does He come first? Maybe in your financial dealings, uh, where you spend your money, how much money you spend on yourself, does He come first in that area? Do you realize that He owns it all and that you're just a steward of what He's given you? You're a manager of His funds. Do you consult Him every time you go to spend money on something? Would He be pleased with what you've done? Or would He consider it uh, larceny? See, that's the litmus test of whether Jesus Christ is preeminent in anybody's life at all. 
How about in your family life, the way you treat your spouse, your children, your friends? Does he come first? Would he be pleased with how you treat other people? Does he really come first? Your health, your habits, your eating, your drinking, whatever. See, is Jesus Christ preeminent in your life or not? If he is, then everything we do is funneled through that and ultimately leads to whatever decision that we make. You've got to stop and start asking yourself those tough questions. I'm about to buy something. I'm about to spend some money. I need to pray about it. I need to consult Him. I need to look at His Word. Is what I'm about to do going to please Him or not? I've got to do it before I do it. You know what it's like? Have you ever driven to San Francisco? San Francisco, you've gone up Pacific Coast Highway, and, and, and you kind of go around all the bends and stuff like that, you know, and you see all that. See, the state of California had two choices when it built that road. It could have built medical clinics at the bottom of each one of those turns. Could have done that. That was a choice. That was a viable option. Could have done that so that every time you went too fast and you went over the cliff, there'd be someone there hopefully to patch up what was whatever left. Okay? Or it could have put signs that said, danger, slow, uh, curve ahead, slow down, something like that. Well, it seems that they chose to do the latter. Now, isn't that amazing? wonder why they did that. So you know what our lives are like as Christians? Uh, 1 John 1, 9. How many of you know it? 1 John 1, 9. Oh, baby, everybody knows it. How many of you ever memorized Romans chapter 6? Uh, no, I don't know. Why, why not? See, because you know what? We would rather drive off the road. 1 John 1, 9. Oh, if we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us. Cleanse us. That's good. And it is good. And I'm glad that, I, that that's the truth of the Word of God. But why in the world would anybody want to keep driving over a cliff just so they can recite 1 John 1, 9? Right? And probably, you'd probably have time to do it as you went over the edge, too. <laughs> I was speeding. <laughs> but, uh, and it's like, but Romans 6 says, hey, you don't have to live that way anymore. It's like, slow down. Here's a curve coming. Here's a danger spot. Don't do it. Consult the architect. Look at the person who built the road. Follow his directions, and you won't go over the cliff. But in the event that you do every now and then go over the cliff, there's somebody down there who will patch you up. That's good news. But why in the world do we live like we want to keep driving over the cliff? So what we do is it's like, well, I'm going to spend my money any way that I want. If God's not pleased with it, 1 John 1, 9. Slap it on there. I'm going to go ahead and cheat on my taxes. If I get caught, 1 John 1, 9. Slap it on there. I'm going to go ahead and cheat on my wife. Don't worry if I get caught, 1 John 1, 9. Slap it on there. Got it, baby. It covers everything. Anything you want to do. You want to live selfishly? You got it. 1 John 1, 9 covers them all. Isn't that the way we work, though? Man, I, there's, I know everybody that knows 1 John 1, 9. Nobody knows Romans 6. says, you know what? Why do you keep living like that? You don't have to anymore. You've been freed in Christ, man. You don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. You can keep, and you can live a life that's pleasing to God. But we'd rather do 1 John 1, 9. So the question is, is he preeminent in every area of your life? Okay, let's do one more. Unless you're bored. Are you bored? Okay. Just testing. Doesn't really matter. I'll do them anyway, because this is good stuff. I like this. Man, I'll tell you what, we should glorify Jesus Christ because of his power. You know what's great? Man, I'll tell you what, you know what? The New Testament is so explicit about the creative power of Jesus Christ. Do you realize who he is? Do you realize what he's done? I'll tell you what, these truths excite me, because when I look at this, it's practical. It says, for by him, by Him, Jesus Christ, all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. 
Do you realize what the Bible teaches about the creative powers of Jesus Christ? Let me just tell you how this works. And here's why this truth excites me so much. And it's practical. But we don't think this way. We need to start thinking this way. Here's how practical it is. Okay? You listen to someone who tells you about how their God threw a spear through this island. You listen to it. You listen. You're polite. And you just throw this little tidbit out. You know what? My God made the islands. That's right. See, but we live in a world that takes away the truth. We live in a world everywhere you go, these things just popped up out of nowhere. And then they just tack on zeros to the end of the age so that you get real confused and think that they know what they're talking about. 27 million years ago, Tahiti popped up out of the water. Oh, really? That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says Jesus Christ made Tahiti. He owns Tahiti. And the people that are selling it are stealing little pieces of it at a time and selling it to people, and they don't even own it. Think about it. The, the land your house sits on, Jesus owns. How dare that developer try to say that he bought it? Although, we probably should play that game anyway. Uh, just in case. But you stop and think about it. See, this is an amazing thing. I mean, when I got a guy telling me that he was responsible for the sunrise and the sunset in the magnificent turquoise lagoons, he's a goon. <laughs> he's not a lagoon, he's a goon. It's like, hey, man, let me tell you something. You know, what's amazing to me is that, in fact, you know what, turn to Acts chapter 17. Let me just show you how this argument actually works in Scripture. Paul was on Mars Hill. He used this argument brilliantly as he exalted Jesus Christ before the Greeks. Acts chapter 17. Now picture yourself there, okay? You've been there, you're going to be there again. Picture yourself, somebody saying something like, hey, our gods did this. And you go, hey, but my God made the island. Okay? So as you go through this, look what it says. Acts chapter 17, look at verse 22. Same situation. Little do we know, many of us don't know this, but Paul was actually on a tour of Greece. He booked it through a travel agent in the Middle East. He was on a tour. He was in a group. They were walking around. They were looking at the Parthenon. They were amazed. They were at the bottom of the Parthenon. If you've ever seen pictures of Greece, at the bottom of the hill is Mars Hill. That's where Paul was. He was there. He was looking around. He was seeing everything that they did, all the Parthenon, all the temples, everything that was going on. Man, there was a lot of action going on there. A lot of, a lot of things were happening. And the tour guide began to explain about all the gods that Greece had. Oh, and this God does this, and this God did that, and this God did this, and this is the big cheese God. And that's why they called uh, Paul and Barnabas Hermes and Zeus, you know, the big cheeses. And then there's little gods. You know, there's a bigger God. And so Paul was sitting there listening to this tour guide going through all this. And finally he just said, you know what? He goes, and Paul stood in the midst of the tour group and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, as I was walking along the Parthenon and checking out the temples and looking at all this stuff, um, you know, I also found an altar with this inscription. It said, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I've come to proclaim to you. You always wanted to know who the biggest God was. And so I just thought I'd just take this time while we had the group together and just explain it to you all. He was from... So, the South Mid Mideast. 
He says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And He made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries and their habitations, that they should seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, each through he, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. You follow what he did? He took advantage of a very simple situation and he turned it around and gave praise and glory and exalted the name of Jesus Christ. And the very simple logic was this. They made the temples. They made all these things. They're the ones that built it all. And so what he said was, what kind of God can you have that would be content living in something that you made with your own hands when the God who made everything doesn't dwell in temples made of human hands? Who do you think you are that you can capture God and put Him in one of your little temples? Don't you know who this God is? He made everything. And if He made everything, why would He be content to... Stay in this little shack that you built, regardless of how magnificent the Parthenon may be. When you own the universe, it's just an outhouse, the Parthenon. Let me just tell you that right now. There's nothing to it. Why would he dwell there? So what he did was he took a very simple situation and he turned it around and he gave praise and glory and exalted the name of Jesus Christ. Because the logic is there. Listen to it. Hey, this God did this. Who made that God? Here's what he accomplished. Who made the islands? Here's what he set out to do. Who created the bigger picture? And they know in their heart there's someone bigger than the God that they've made with their own thoughts and their own intentions because they know he can't be greater than them because he's, they're the ones that created him. So you twist it all around and you look at it and you say, man, you know what? It's through him, through Jesus Christ. All things were made. Without him, nothing what is made that has been made. Everything that you see was made by Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't pump you up to get excited about worshiping Him and giving Him all the glory and all the praise, then I don't know what will. You know what I'm saying? I'll tell you what. He's in control of everything. You know what He said? It was interesting one time. You know, when He was in Jerusalem, you remember when Jesus was approaching the city and the people began to praise Him and they were shouting Hosanna? And the disciples said, you know, kind of like... Well, if they maybe shouldn't be doing that, you know, keep it low-key. You know what he said? He said, if they don't do it, even the stones will shout praise. Why? Because he made it. They exist to please him for his pleasure. And if we don't do it, he'll get the stones to praise him. But his name will be praised. His name will be praised. Therefore, God highly exalted him 
and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is glory to God. Every knee on earth, every knee in heaven, every knee under the earth, every person God ever made will someday give him praise and glory. And why in the world are we waiting until then? Let's start doing it now. We had a chapel service, believe it or not, last Sunday on the boat. It was great. We had a bunch of people in our group and we got together and we just wanted to have a time of devotion. And one of the things that typically happens on a trip like that is that you begin to think you deserve to be there. And, uh, you know, if things don't go your way, then you, you kind of complain and you moan a little bit about it and this isn't going right or that's not going right and whatever. And um, so as we were going down through it, see, from a human standpoint, yes, the people that were there, quote, deserve to be there. They, they met the requirements of whatever the deal was. They held their end up, so the people that gave them the trip held their end up. They bought enough stuff, they got to go on the trip, okay? Human perspective tells us that they earned the right to go. I don't, I don't deny any of that. And, and the Bible is very clear. We need to work, we need to work hard, we need to please God in everything that we do. That's not the point. The point is this. <laughs> we wouldn't have had anywhere to go if Jesus Christ didn't make it. That's the point. That's the point. You got a favorite vacation place? When was the last time you realized and praised God that Jesus Christ created that place for you to go and you to enjoy? Huh? You got a place you like to go? You got a place you like to go to relax and you look around and you see what God has made? When was the last time you stopped at that point and said, not just praise the Lord, but use that place as an opportunity to exalt the name of Jesus Christ before people that are there that don't know who He is. Man, I don't know. Just look around. Everything that you see should motivate you to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Because without Him, none of the stuff that is made would ever have been made, including you and I. There's some good reasons. One way to please God, exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity just to learn a little bit more about who Jesus Christ is. God, as we think about His unique personhood, that there's no one ever in the history of this world nor to come that is like Jesus. Nobody. God, we think about His power and everything that this world is was created by Him and for Him. The universe and all that exists, the oceans, the stars, the sky, the beautiful turquoise lagoons, all of it was created by Jesus Christ. God forgive us for taking that for granted and for not exalting the name of Jesus, not having the boldness and the confidence to let people know who He is. How ashamed I am to think that there are people around the world who boldly proclaim foolish stories about gods that never existed. And yet as I grow to know who you are more and more, may I praise your name in all that I do. May I give Jesus, the name of Jesus, the praise and the glory that he well deserves. And it's in his wonderful name that we pray all of these things. Amen.